0: Well, good morning, good morning. And, and welcome to St. John's Church. Are you happy to be here? Yes. Very good. Um, today, uh, we're, we're going to enter into a time of worship in a moment, um, but I'm going to do something kind of risky and ask you to consider how you are coming today. Now, if you're anything like me, when people say, how are you coming today? I said, buy my car. Thank you very much. Uh, but actually, when, we are, when we're gathered together, it's important to see, well, actually, where am I at emotionally? Now, I went through a long journey where I just do not trust my own emotions. I, I suffer from depression, so all of my emotions are suspect. Like, how real are they? Do you know what I mean? Uh, but emotions, as horrible guides as they are to us, they're very helpful for us to actually see where we are. They're not good at directing us where we should be, but they help us to know where we are. And um, I was part of a, a small group years ago. We were, we were starting to become a Christian life community, which is an Ignatian um, small group kind of thing. And the first thing we did when we arrived together was to say, how are you coming today? How are you? And Sean Branch would always say, I am well. Do you Remember? Yeah, not helpful. (laughs) Uh, But I know that for myself personally, I have very low, um, is it emotional intelligence, EI? I have very low emotional intelligence. So one of the things I need is something to help me identify how it is I'm actually feeling. So I want us to take some time. And if you picked up a handout at the back of the church when you came in, you can look at this. Uh, emotions wheel if it would be helpful if not if you if you know how you're feeling and how you're coming great you don't need this at all but for me i sometimes need to say well how is it that i'm coming and this is important because where we are is where god wants to meet us so if you're coming in here today and you're feeling anxious or frustrated Part of me wants to just sort of dismiss those negative feelings. But that's not helpful because God's going to meet me in my frustration or my fear or my weariness. That's where I am. That's where God wants to meet me. I remember one time in our Christian Life community, one of the members came, and on their way to the meeting, uh, he witnessed a car accident. And he was so shaken up by what he witnessed that he could not be present. And because of that, he stayed for a few minutes. He's like, I'm sorry, I need to go. How are you coming? So the other thing, so as you as you ponder that, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to ponder a second question, and that is, what do you hope to get out of today? How do you hope God encounters you today? What do you hope will be accomplished in that encounter? Um, <clears throat> it's Saturday. It's a beautiful Saturday, and out of any other place you could be, you chose to be here. Silly, silly people. Why? Why did you come here today? What is it that you hope God does today? So I'm going to put those two reflective questions up on the screen, and there's going to be a song playing uh, by a guy named Jeremy Riddle, and it's just a Be Still and Know And it's an invitation that if you are feeling anxious or if anything is weighing on you, like the World Cup, just to lay it aside and say, God, where am I? Where is it that you desire to encounter me today? And what is my heart's desire for you? What what do I want for you to do in my life today? Does that sound good? Would you please be seated? And thank you, Sean, for for leading us in that time of worship. And I I guess I I should have said this earlier, but uh, welcome to St. John's Church. And for those of you who belong to St. John's Church, we know you're not really here. We're in a different place. I need to start off with a confession. I do not want to be here. And I do not want to use the time the way we're using it. How's that sound? Honest? All right, because I was caught up in going to the Villa Madonna for 24 hours where we could, you know, have Eucharist together and Compline. Don't you love Compline? And then in the quiet times, we could go on the trails and walk around and do the trails or maybe go down to the water if it was warm enough. Oh, my goodness, it would be so nice. But we're in a gym for five hours and uh, Sean can testify to this that I was pretty cranky when he told me we weren't going to the villa and when he said we're going to do a quiet day instead of a retreat I was not too receptive of that eh sorry Sean but the closer we got to the time I thought isn't it fitting isn't this perfect because when you think about it in our lives in our churches Are any of us where we want to be? Honestly. I'm not. I miss my congregation. Half of us still don't come. I miss our young people. I miss our praise band. I miss all kinds of stuff. I'm not where I want us to be. And isn't it perfect that this is not what we expected and this is not where we wanted to be? Back in September, uh, the clergy had a conference with Dr. Wanda Malcolm, and she, she, taught, she was t- talking to us about ministry, resilience in ministry. And she said, we are in a desert. That's where we are. The problem with us, with uh, oftentimes when we are talking about spiritual lives or where we're at, is that we often get bound up in the what could have beens and if onlys. Do you ever find that? If only COVID never happened, we'd be fine. You know, if, if, you know, if only we could have been in a, in, a, in a place that I had imagined things would have been perfect, we could have accomplished so much more. But God doesn't work in the what-ifs and the if-onlys. That's not where he is. God is in the what is, the reality. And this is where we are. And so my, my shift in attitude is needed so that I can be free from the what-ifs and if-onlys to say, okay, God, here we are. What do you want to do? If we're going to be expectant and to see what God is going to do, we need to be free from our expectations and at the disposal of God's will. Does that make sense? We are in this time of Advent, and Advent is a time of preparation, it's a time of expectation. And in this season, every year, we are invited to pause and to consider the fact that Jesus will return, that Jesus is our King. And we are to look in in His character and look at His teachings and we are to look at what His kingdom looks like and we are to contemplate, does my life line up with God's reign? Am I at his disposal? Or is something else leading me or directing me, determining how I act and live? Over the past uh, year and a half or so, I have to say I've experienced a movement in my spirit. Um, I was deep in despair and grief for a long time, especially when we were in utter lockdown. I was in a bad place and and despairing of any hope. But over the past several months, some things have happened that have brought me out of that despair and grief and placed me in a place of expectant hope. And I'd like to share those things with you uh, because maybe you could identify with some things happening in your lives, I hope. One of the things, this is awkward, is David's return from Lambeth. And he had this shift of hope that God is actually at work. And the question is, are we going to like what he's working at? That filled me with a kind of expectation that, hey, the last song has not been sung. The book is not done. We have something to look forward to. Another thing happened to me uh, before that. uh, I was at Rogersville at the monastery there. Have you ever been to that monastery? Oh my goodness, if you get a chance, you gotta go. It is a thin place for me. Whenever I go there, I, 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 I've been blessed by God. I, I hear his voice. It's so, he's so intimate with me there. But I was there the last time uh, for a retreat, uh, and, and I was talking with one of the brothers at the welcome desk, right? And he looked down. And so I said, brother, are you are you Okay. And he just said, Well, we had a, a novitiate join our community, and this week he discerned that God had not called him to holy orders. So he left. And I'm devastated. And I just listened, and he said, I don't, we're so old, and we're so few in number, I don't know how much longer we can keep this going. And I, my heart was just filled with grief. So we talked a little while longer, and then I went out onto the grounds, and I was, I was looking over the, the brother's quarters, which is this big stone structure that I love. It's just it's so beautiful to me. And I started to cry a little because I was thinking of life without this place of retreat, this place of blessing. But as I was there in that moment of pain, I heard the still, quiet voice say, the grandeur of this place is Nothing compared to what is to come. Hope began. At Diocesan Synod this past time, we were in our small groups. Was anyone able to do that? Yeah, yay, small groups. Uh, I don't like small groups because it makes me hear people from where they're at and I don't like it. (laughs) But it's good for me to be there. And people in our small group were fretting and they were so worried. And one person in our group asked the question, how are we to be faithful when Jesus has led us to this place of discouragement and decline? And I thought, what an awesome question. Because sometimes we get into our heads that Jesus isn't really there. He's somewhere far off, not really caring or hearing what's going on, But if Jesus is Lord, and if he's truly present with us, then he cares very much about what we are called to be and doing, and he's there leading us wherever we are. God is in the process of rebuilding his church in this place. It's not going to look like what we expect. Are we free to embrace it? Are we free to follow? Big questions. So going back to the clergy conference in September, uh, Dr. Wanda Malcolm um, said that we were in this place of desert. And she said, what if God is calling us to find new sources for water and for shade? And I at first was really excited by that, but then as I prayed with that, I became very afraid. And this is the source of my fear. I had an image of Jesus standing at a gate in a walled city, waving to me (laughs) as I was going off into the desert to find new sources of shade and water. And I was filled with anxiety and fear. That image is a lie. That's not how Jesus operates. He promised never to leave or forsake us, right? Right? So when he, when Wanda says, maybe God is calling us out, it's location, but we never leave the presence of Jesus. And and so I had this, um, I was in Walmart, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was looking, my, my son Isaac and I were working on building an emergency shelter in the woods behind our house. And I was looking for a flint and steel kind of thing to help Isaac light fires, because Every 10-year-old should know how to light fires. And next to the survival equipment, I found this doohickey here. Have you ever seen this? This is a life straw. It's basically a filter in a straw. And if you are out in the wilderness and you don't have any more bottles of clean water, you can pull this straw out of your pocket, stick it into any contaminated, messy source of water, and through this straw you can pull fresh, clean, life-giving water. When I saw that straw, I said, that's Jesus. Jesus is not standing at a gate saying, good luck. He's present with us, and wherever we go through Jesus, we can draw new life and nourishment and shade. The question is, Are we free to walk trusting that he is with us? Are we free to go ahead with him? So we believe these things. Jesus is king. Jesus is good. Jesus is capable. Jesus is caring. And Jesus is present. Do we believe these things? This is yes. Do we in practice believe these things? Because the question isn't the quality of king that we have chosen to serve. We know the quality of king. The question is are we free to follow him or are we too caught up in what about what what ifs and what ought to have beens so that we can't really be present with Jesus in the moment or another real danger for us right now are we so harried and frazzled in our day-to-day lives that we can't be present with Jesus in the moment it's not possible When I was uh, ordained uh, just a little while ago, someone gave me a plaque with this, with this verse off of Psalm uh, 37. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a tricky psalm. That's a tricky verse. Because if you don't pay attention to what it's saying, it might sound kind of like prosperity gospel stuff. Right? If you just honor God then he'll give you you wealth and health and position. Right? Anything you want. But when you really look at the psalm and and are present with the psalm, what it's saying is, if you make the Lord your delight, if you make the Lord your heart's desire, there's no way he's going to hold himself back from you. That's the promise that Jesus gives himself for you and me. Are we free to put Jesus at the first, the center of our lives, or are other things drawing us away from Him being in the center? So everything uh, that I'm going to do today is actually stolen. Uh, so sorry, um, but uh, everything I want to look at today is 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 from Ignatian spirituality, and if. You don't know who St. Ignatius of Loyola was. He was a, a, a priest back in the 1500s. Uh, he founded the Jesuit order of priests. And he had a way of using his imagination and contemplation in action uh, to be a blessing to the world around. Um, so, St. Ignatius was, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was a womanizer, he was a soldier, he was someone who wanted to advance in court and have power and position. And uh, in order to do that, he once thought, hey, let's uh, defend a city in a hopeless situation. Because then everyone would want to say, hey, what a hero. Then he took a cannonball across the knees and spent months in recovery. His sister was a bit of a goody-two-shoes, and she refused to give him any good novels with sex and war and violence and all that stuff. She gave him a book on the saints. And so St. Ignatius was stuck in a very painful position for months and he had a choice of doing nothing or reading this book of the saints. <laughs> Double torture maybe. But what he came to realize is that when he um, contemplated his old, li- his old life and the thought of wooing women and, and everything, he became desolate, depressed, depressed. Back then, uh, it was very stylish for the men to have boots that went up mid-thigh, show off all the curves. The ladies loved it. He looked down at his legs and he saw this lump and misshapen mass and thought he would never win the heart of any woman. Uh, Nor could he, like, lead the charge anymore because walking around was painful. So he became very depressed and desolate. But when he read these stories of the saints and thought, I could do that, I could be a soldier for Jesus, I could, I could work for his kingdom. He got excited, and, and he called this state of being consolation. So St. Ignatius said that we have a freedom to choose that which draws us better to God. And, and so the first thing I want to look at today is that the, the, fun, the fundamental thing with Ignatian spirituality is freedom. Freedom is that we have this freedom to choose God. Um, so in your, in your handouts there on the first page, you're going to see um, where I stole the principle and foundation from uh, David L. Fleming's uh, book called Draw Me Into Your Friendship. And he goes, this is the, this is the, the basic of, of human existence. He says, the goal of our life as human beings is to live with God Forever. We, we were created to be, we are as image bearers of God. Somebody once said that that means we are uh, living mirrors. And humans reflect everything they look at. So if we look at money, we reflect greed. But when we look at Jesus, we reflect the character of God, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's our calling, is to be reflecting the character of God and to be living that character out in the rest of creation. He goes on to say so God who loves us gave us life our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. So our purpose is to is to be conduits of God's love and creative presence in this world. So as a result, we appreciate and use all the gifts of God insofar as they help us develop as loving persons. But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth toward our goal. So when we're consumed with something that isn't God, we actually do a great deal of harm to ourselves and to those around us because we're living out of sync with what God had intended for us. So in everyday life, then, we must hold ourselves in balance before all these created gifts insofar as we have a choice and are not bound by some obligation. We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. So our only desire and our choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. I just want to give you an example of what this looks like. Several years ago I was in the regional hospital and I saw a friend of mine uh, in the lobby. And she was sitting down uh, off the side and she looked stunned. Um... And so I I went up to her, and her name was Rose. And I said, hey, Rose, it's Paul. Rose was blind. Um, And I I said, it's Paul, Are, are you okay? And she said, well, I don't know. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, I was just diagnosed with cancer. I said, oh, no. And she said, and in addition to that... The doctor said that I will be completely 100% blind by the end of the year. And I was like, oh, oh no. I didn't know what to say. And after a moment of quiet, Rose quietly said, I just want to do this well. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I want to honor Jesus as I walk this road. That is living in freedom. So my goal today is not for you just to listen to me prattle on. <laughs> I actually want us to uh, to take time and to pray. And so one of the things I also stole um, was is this prayer for freedom. And I, I would ask that, we're, I'm, I think I'm going to play a song now. I think that's what's going to happen. And... Um, There at the bottom of page one, this is a prayer that that I was taught to pray before I began any prayer time. Uh, And it's a time just to say, you know, God, I want you to be free in me in this time of prayer. And I find it a very helpful way to recognize the places where I don't have freedom and to turn those over to Jesus, submit them to Jesus, so that I can be free to be truly present. Does that sound good? So I'll just pray, and then uh, I think there's a song next. I'm completely lost with the slides. But anyway, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just let this song play, and, um, but I'll just pray now. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in this quiet time. And Lord, in the time that we have remaining, please give us freedom to be with you intimately. And Lord, please move in ways that we can discern and help us to respond in faith so that you would be given the greater honor and glory in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I'm looking at Sean and he's looking at me. We're going to just play this song. And I think following this, if you want to go and explore the building and find a quiet place to be, we're going to take about an hour, I think, to, to be still. Does that sound good? Okay. okay, so let's just take a moment to pray and uh, commit this time to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the time we have to be together and that, that we have permission now to be still with you. Lord, if there's anything that is weighing on us or distracting us, please give us your grace to lay it aside so that we can be attentive to you. And Lord, I pray especially this afternoon that, that your truth would be spoken and your truth would be heard, and that anything that is not of you would fall at my feet. Because our hearts desire Jesus is to be drawn in deeper intimacy with you and to reflect you more clearly to the world around us so that you may be glorified and our world may be healed. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Sometimes when we are journeying, there's a lot of waiting time. I remember uh, when Kimberly and I went on our honeymoon to Disney. We were delayed 15 minutes in St. John. 15 minutes. And it meant that we had to wait for nine hours in Montreal because we missed our flight. How do we wait well when we are journeying in the desert? How do we make the most of our time when no movement (laughs) seems like it's happening? For the Christian, waiting is not simply sitting around twiddling our thumbs, and it shouldn't be binging on Netflix. And it should definitely not be scrolling mindlessly on our phones, all of which I'm guilty of. But waiting as a Christian means preparing. Preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts to be more intimately involved with Jesus. <clears throat> and there's so many things that can distract us from being committed and faithful to Jesus, things that look really, really good, but actually they're not. They're not helpful at all. Uh, I think one of the most tragic things that can happen to a Christian is that they become experts in the Bible or experts in theology, and yet they're strangers to Jesus and to walking with Jesus is, is a completely foreign thing. You know, such a person could, could tell you, could map out perfectly Paul's first and second missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean, perfectly. But they are so burdened and fearful for what's happening around them that they've lost their joy. Or I, I knew someone who could tell you exactly how the tribes of Israel were camped all around the tabernacle. Who could tell you that? No, nobody here? Yeah, it's okay. Um, God still loves you. Peter knows? Okay. <laughs> I used to know, I think, but I've forgotten. <laughs> Einstein didn't know his phone number, but he knew where to look it up. Um, but, you know, you could be so, such an expert in these things, and yet they could be a malicious gossip doing tremendous harm to themselves and to the church around them. If we don't have that desire to be like Jesus and growing in intimacy with Jesus, it's very easy for us to be drifting away from who we are called to be. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being with Ken and Faye Nielsen down in the stillness. It was just a wonderful retreat center near St. Martin's. And one of the things that Ken specializes in is looking at marriage as friendship. And I'm going to say this wrong. But Adam Kara, is that right? It's soul friend in, in Gaelic, right? So it's this idea of friendship being the core thing in a marriage. And you could have like really functional relationship. That you get the bills paid, you take care of the house, you raise the kids. That's all great. But if you don't have the friendship at the core of your relationship, everything is sort of gray. But if that friendship is right, everything can become vibrant. Uh, Kimberly and I, uh, you may or may not, we have a, a son who has who a chronic illness. And we learned early on that we are stellar at working together. She tells me what to do and I do it. <laughs> We're stellar partners at getting through life and getting things done. But where we fall down and where there's like a danger in our relationship is that we don't stay current with each other. We don't celebrate our love for each other in a regular, intentional way. Why? Because we are both task-oriented. So we know we love each other and all this stuff, but if we're not intentional at actually celebrating that, things get gray. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. If that isn't first and foremost, then it's replaced with something else. And I don't know about you, I'm going to be vulnerable here, and if you want to attack me later, you, you feel free. I have been totally dissatisfied with the way our church makes decisions. I have been totally dissatisfied with the kind of conversations we have. Um, one of the things I really grieved uh, in the past few years was when the, the uh, indigenous church sort of became their own thing. And I'm like, no, no. Don't go <laughs> because we need to learn to discern through your circles, your healing circles. This whole like back and forth, this, this, this opposition way, uh, oppositional way of making decisions and voting on things is just, it's not in line with the heart of Jesus, I don't think. It's combative. It's not seeking that unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And, and I and I have been a priest now for, for about seventeen years in the diocese and I just I've been part of very unhealthy conversations. And I've and I and I'm and I'm grieved by that. I'm grieved by the, the nature and the the tone of our conversation. Sometimes I think that our allegiance Um, goes beyond Jesus to a camp within the church. I'm an evangelical Christian. I've got good charismatic friends, but I wouldn't call myself one of them. And those progressives, well, God help them. Don't even get me started on those Anglo-Catholics. But when we put ourselves in these camps, we subtly take our focus off of Jesus. And we place ourselves instead in in these echo chambers. And it's so easy to take a sister or a brother and label them as the enemy instead of what we are called to be doing. And there are passages in Scripture that talk about the need to be faithful and, you know, the the faithful will inherit the earth, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be given crowns of victory and all this stuff, these passages become very problematic if, for me, being faithful means I've got to be faithful to the way evangelicals interpret Scripture, first and foremost. If the focus is taken off of Jesus and onto these other things, then we can entrench ourselves further. <clears throat> I just want to read a passage from Matthew 24. Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. If Jesus is the one we are to be standing firm in, great. But if being right to the way I view things is the most important thing, then God help me. I will stay this at the, at the medley lectures this, this year. Um, John Stackhouse said that in, in, he used to think that in North America, we would be, the church would be persecuted to death. He's no longer convinced of that. He said that we will most likely be seduced to death. That our faithfulness to Jesus will not be put into question because of attack, but because we are so drawn to other things. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that truth doesn't matter. It does. But what I'm saying most importantly is that Jesus is the truth. And he is the way. And he is the life. And he is to be our focus. And the question I have for us is how do we stay current in a living relationship with Jesus? We're in a time in the church where it's, there's a big upheaval happening right now. Right? Right? Um, uh, One of the the terms that's very common right now is deconstructing faith. Have you heard this? No? No? Okay, so (laughs) one of the things that that more and more people are writing about, this this trend of people deconstructing their faith, and they're calling into question their denomination, their religious expressions, everything. And at the best-case scenario, they're coming back to, what did Jesus really say? How did he really live? And how am I supposed to live in response to that? At the worst of times, they're saying Christianity is fake, Jesus never existed, and they're done with the whole thing. It's very turbulent right now. But there's this theory that says that every 500 years or so, the church needs to go through a reformation. And so the first reformation was when the Eastern and Western churches divided. So you had the Eastern Orthodox churches, and then you had the Roman Catholic Church, and then 500 years later, you had the Reformation between Roman Catholics and the Protestants. And now, we are due for another Reformation. And the question is, what is this going to look like? Well, I've got all the answers for you because I listened to one podcast. So, are you in luck? Uh, I, found this, I found this very interesting. This this podcast, uh, uh, if you're interested, it's called The Jesus Collective. Um, it's... it's a, focusing on who Jesus is and putting him in the center of all that we do. And they said that they used to say what does a church really look like in like in very broad terms? And one of the things <laughs> they said is that we have one arm of our church that looks very fuzzy. I don't know why they use the term fuzzy except that there's no clear distinction between the church and the world around it. So whatever behavior you want to be involved in it doesn't matter cuz jesus loves you it's very affirming we would say progressive it's all good okay so long as you're not actively hurting people you are more than welcome then you have this other wing of the church they're called bound churches these are the legalists the fundamentalists this is where you know if you if you don't do things in the right order then you actually are out of grace so one of the examples they used, was this was in South America, women couldn't get married because it was very common at any wedding, you had to throw on a big party. Well, they couldn't afford a big party, so they just didn't get married. Uh, but because of that, they were prohibited from being leaders in the church until people you know, went and talked to them and actually discerned with them what was actually happening. So if you are not following the rules then you're out. A lot of time is spent with determining who is in and who is out. So this podcast said, well, maybe there's a third way of being church. And this is the the centered churches. So instead of spending all of our time determining who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, we actually commit everybody up to the care of Jesus and put him in the center. And I really like this a lot. For those of you who don't know, this is a bicycle tire. And for this illustration, imagine that Jesus is the hub of this tire. And wherever we are around Jesus... We could be on the rim. We could be near the like the actual tread of the tire. We could be really close to Jesus. We could be in very different expressions of church. But if Jesus is the center and he is our destination, then all of us together are moving towards him. Now the beautiful thing is that as we move closer towards Jesus, what happens? We move closer towards each other too. Now, with Jesus in the center, it's still, we, are, we have to ask the question, is this activity, is that belief in line with what Jesus wants for us? And we can say yes or no. But when we say no and are in disagreement with someone, we can still say, I trust that you're on the journey and you're going to get there. Please pray for me too as we go together. Does this make sense? So the challenge for us in a Jesus-centered church is to actually say, you know, at the heart, are we, are we, are we growing in the character of Christ? And when we have disagreement and, and there are different camps, we don't have to say, waste time thinking they're out or they're in. We could just say, Lord, give us your grace and help us come together. And our task, then, is to lift up Jesus in our lives, in our churches, and to trust in the grace that we ourselves have received. And we can celebrate that with other people. Um, if we could uh, read this together, I'd really, I think that would be good. This is from uh, 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 4. If we could read this together, please. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I love that. As we look upon the face of Jesus, the light of God, Illumines us where we need to do a 180 or a course correction, you know, where we need to go in, in response to his bidding for us to come and serve. How do we do this, though? And I, I think that this is right in line with the bishop's charge, where he was talking to us about daily coming into this place of intimacy with Jesus. It's allowing the face of Christ to illuminate what we are called to be doing and walking in that relationship with him. So waiting for a faithful Christian means preparation. It means growing in intimacy with Jesus through a living relationship rather than entrenching ourselves in theological or ecclesiological positions. Jesus is our focus and our delight. Okay? So how do we stay current with Jesus? This is where we uh, get into um, the meat of this reflection, and that is the daily examine. Now, there is an example of this, again, in the the handout, but I want to do something. um, I just want to do a guided examine so that we can be together and take the time to do this. But the examine is basically pausing, inviting God to be present with you, Giving thanks, responding, um, looking at areas where where we've been um, in opposition to God's will and repenting, and then committing our day to go on with Jesus. Uh, When I was, uh, well, years ago, when I first started doing this, it just opened up this whole world of prayer, and it's just like enjoying a dear friendship with someone because you get to just touch base on the day. And I think that this is this is essential for um, seeing where we are moving in response to God or in opposition to God so that we can, can, can be walking and growing in that intimacy. So if it's all right with you, I would like to actually take a moment, a few moments now, and to be still. Um, we have about half an hour before our next talk. So when we're done with the examine. I'm going to invite you just in the quiet of your heart to stay with Jesus. If you want to, in, in uh, one of the weird Ignatian terms is colloquy. If you want to have a conversation or a colloquy with Jesus about anything that came up during the examine, this half an hour time, when we're, when, or whatever time we have left, would be a good place to just say, hey Jesus, this is what came up. What are you trying to say to me? And just have that intimate Conversation with Jesus. Does that sound all right? Okay. One of the things that I think is central to the to the life of faith is to remember that our destination is secure. Our destination is Jesus. The means for our journey is where we need to show our attentiveness and concern, so that Jesus can be uh, working in us and keeping us in track. But we are secure in his love. So I invite you to get comfortable. We just allow our spirit to rest a while. And as we rest, we consider whose we are and where we are going. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your many blessings to us. We just pause now to to express our appreciation for your goodness and for the gifts you have given us in our lives. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to identify moments in our day for which we are most grateful. We pray that you would call to our remembrance those words or thoughts or actions that moved us in heart and mind closer toward the Father. Lord, as these things have been called to remembrance, we pray for a deeper understanding. Why did these words or thoughts or actions have the effect they did? How did they move us closer to you? Thank you, Lord. And please give us your grace that we may be more um, aware and intentional in our response to your moving. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to now help us to identify moments in our day for which we are least grateful. Those words or thoughts or actions that moved our hearts and minds away from you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that to you both dark and light are both alike. And that you can work in the dark as well as in the day. Help us to accept these moments of darkness in our day. and Please give us a deeper understanding as to why they affected us so negatively. How and why did these moments draw me away from you? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please give us grace to walk in greater awareness and help us to choose that which leads us closer to you. Pray now, Lord, in the time that follows that you would, you would speak, that we may hear you and that you may hear our heart and that your presence would be healing as we seek you. Amen. So we have about 20 minutes, so feel free to take this time in conversation with God. Um, If you need to get up and move around to focus, feel free to do so, and we'll gather again at 2 o'clock. All right, well, welcome to the final part of today's quiet day. Uh, Just to remember, we began looking at uh, are we truly free in our relationship with Jesus? Do we trust him enough to follow him and to go with him into the desert and to remember that he is our life straw, that it is through Jesus that we find nourishment and protection regardless of where we go? And then uh, the last talk, we looked at Uh, the examine about the importance of staying current with Jesus and keeping our relationship with Jesus himself as our first love. And now we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be clothed with Jesus. And so I don't know if you'd like to to read this with me. I think that would be fun. This is from Galatians chapter 3. Let's read it together. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thank you. So, hey, Eva, do you think that instead of saying children of God, it means sons of God there? Yeah, sorry. We're all inheritors along with Jesus about God's great promise for us. Even I have a bit of a back and forth about when that shows up in a Bible reading how to handle it. We are to be clothed in Jesus. Uh, Just a few weeks ago in the lectionary, we, we read from Romans Uh, about Paul urging people to be clothed in Christ so to resist our sinful nature. And here in Galatians, he is saying be clothed in Christ to fully embrace who you are in Christ, to be children of God, children of the promise, agents of healing and reconciliation in this world. Where there are things to divide, we seek ways to be unified in Christ. So what does it mean to be clothed in him? I shared this story uh, in a sermon just not too long ago, but when I was first out of Wycliffe College, I went to serve at, in the, in the um, parish of the Narapis in St. John down in Grand Bay. And this was a newly amalgamated church, and so it was really, there was a lot of strong emotions, let's say. And oftentimes at vestry, things got heated, people's tones weren't the most helpful And at at times, it was a really unpleasant place to be. But my warden at the time, Liz, was a St. John uh, police officer. And every now and then, Liz would come to a vestry meeting wearing her uniform. You know, her shift was starting after or just ending, so she was dressed like a police officer. And I noticed very quickly that when Liz was dressed in her uniform, people were more respectful the tone was a bit more calm. So one day I went up to Liz and I said, Liz, I love it when you bring a gun to the table. <laughs> and she said, It's not the gun, it is the uniform. People are more respectful, they react differently to the uniform. And she said, It's not only the, the other people reacting to me, I behave differently. I, when I put on this uniform, I am ready to serve. I I stand a bit taller. I'm more aware of my surroundings. And it's really important. We are called to be clothed in Christ. And that means that we put on the uniform of Jesus, the character of Jesus. Our purpose is to be focused in on being those agents of reconciliation in this world, of standing for justice and, and freedom and truth and And all that brings us into the kingdom. That's what we're called to do. The question is, how do we clothe ourselves in Christ? And again, I'm not going to be saying anything now that you have never heard before. But there are so many ways for us to immerse ourselves in Jesus every day. And how are we supposed to do it? Uh, Todd Hunter, who is a, a bishop out in California, wrote a book called Deep Peace. And in that, he suggests three ways for us to be immersed in Christ. And the first thing he says is dedicate yourself to, to God in prayer every morning. Dedicate yourself to God in prayer. One of the things that I was taught how to do is to pray a grace. Um, to say, Lord, may all of my actions, all of my intentions, and all of my operations or my, my reactions Be directed toward your greater service and praise. That's a prayer of dedication. My mother prays a prayer. Lord, put a guard on my mouth (laughs) so that only your words are uttered. I don't know how effective that is, but she prays it often. A dedication of the day. Um, There's other, then Todd Hunter said, so dedicate your day. The other thing he said is use centering prayer um, throughout the day. And some of the examples he gives that are so beautiful are, uh, Lord, I am safe in your kingdom. Or, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. And then there's the one from the Eastern Church, of course, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon us. So these, just these little prayers throughout the day, whatever happens, to keep us focused and in relationship with God. And the final thing, he says at the end of the day, pray the examine, look over your day, see the movements, where you worked with God, where you resisted God, and, you know, dedicate the next day to Him. So those are three things that he suggested. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Roman Catholic bishop named uh, Fulton Sheen, I think his name was. Remember him? He, he would say, you know, it's important to pray the offices, okay? but don't go crazy on the offices. He said, where you want to experience real prayer is in contemplation. So the offices are good and important. They direct our prayer. They invite God in. But where the rubber hits the road is with contemplative prayer. And that's where we're going to be looking today. When I was a kid, um, I had a Sunday school teacher who tried to kill me in order to teach me contemplative prayer. Do you remember? We bring it up every time we see each other. But we had a Sunday school and a lesson in which fish, salted fish, was part of the Bible story. So Leith brought in salted fish. And she said, you know, feel it, smell it, taste it. This is what Jesus would have eaten. And then I found out that I was deathly allergic to fish. <laughs> But the lesson, man, did it stick. (laughs) When we talk about contemplative prayer, and in particular, gospel contemplation, it's about using all of our senses to be immersed in the story so that Jesus can take us where he wants us to be. And I'd like to give you a a bit of a personal example of this before we actually practice it. Um, But years ago, I, I had my heart broken. And I was doing contemplative prayer. And I was praying with the feeding of the 4,000, 5,000, one of the thousands. And as I was praying, you know, you you read the passage and you imagine the scene and you read it again, you fill in the details, you read it again, and you enter into a kind of a movie with this passage. Now the intent here is to encounter Jesus. So while I was praying in this way, The scene unfolded just like it does in the Bible, but then something different happened. And I was left alone as the crowd dispersed, and I saw Jesus walk up and over a hill in my imagination. And so I went to go follow Jesus. But one of the disciples said, put a hand on my chest, and said, let him be. I got really angry and stopped praying. The next day, I came back to this time of prayer and and the same thing happened. I came and one of the disciples placed their hand on my chest and said, let him be. And I realized in that moment, he wasn't saying, leave him alone. It was, let Jesus be Jesus. And I said something like, okay, and I followed. And I met with Jesus on the far side of the hill and he placed his hands on my heart and there was light and warmth that flooded my chest. And I said, What are you doing? And he said, I'm healing your heart. And I said, Why? And he just looked at me. Like, You know why? And we just stayed there for the longest time. It's been close to 15 years since that happened. I still go back there, and I still feel Jesus' hand on my heart. me. Contemplative prayer is not about a fanciful imagination. It's a way of engaging with Jesus in an intimate and living way. And if we want to learn how to be clothed with Jesus, we need to be immersed in his presence. Yes, his teaching. Yes, his example in his life. But in that living relationship um, there's this wonderful quote uh, from by um, Henry Nowen. Uh, he wrote a little book called In the Name of Jesus and it's for Christian leaders. But when I read it, I'm like, cross out the leaders. <laughs> this is for Christians. And I'd like to share this quote with you because it, it, it talks about how we are transformed by Jesus himself. Christian Christians cannot simply be persons who have well-informed opinions about the burning issues of our time. Their leadership must be, or I'll say their lives, must be rooted in the permanent, intimate relationship with the incarnate word, Jesus. And they need to find there the source for their words, advice, and guidance. Through the discipline of contemplative prayer, Christians have to learn to listen again and again to the voice of love and to find there the wisdom and courage to address whatever issue presents itself to them. Dealing with burning issues without being rooted in deep personal relationship with God easily leads to divisiveness because before we know it, our sense of self is caught up in our opinion about a given subject. But when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. For Christians to be truly fruitful in the future, a movement from the moral to the mystical is required. And I think that's where we find ourselves. Um, years ago, I was a I was a chaplain at Ross St. Etherwood School. And before then, I was a youth pastor since I was 19 up to whenever. And for For the first part of my ministry as a youth pastor, it was teach Jesus, teach Jesus, teach Jesus, teach Jesus, go on mission trip. Okay? When I went to RNS, I couldn't really teach Jesus. But I could take kids on mission trips. We just couldn't call them mission trips. So I would take them to Outflow and sit them down with (laughs) these guys living on the street or living rough who loved Jesus. And these guys would witness to these rich Mexican kids or or rich local kids. And on the bus ride home, these kids would come up to me and say, Hey Rev, why did that feel so good? And I will say, because that's where the kingdom is. That's where God is. This is what he does. And it was like a complete 180 of what I used to do because it was the example of God at work interpreted instead of teaching and then doing. We are called to be so immersed in the person of Jesus that it transforms how we engage, where we can walk in faith, entrusting everyone to the grace of God and not worrying about who's in or who's out. Because Jesus is Lord, and he is able, and he is good. So if you turn to the second page in the handout, this is, this is an example of a way that we can practice gospel contemplation. So gospel contemplation is about using a holy imagination to enter the gospel story in order to engage with Jesus. Contemplation has been described like getting into the scene of a movie and using props like salted fish really help. Um, The the passage that we used for Synod um, involved that that Jesus was on the the shore uh, with the crackling fire. So easy to get into that scene with the smell and the feel of the fire and, and what it looked like and sounded like. We're going to be using a different passage from John 13. Um, But so basically what you do is you read the passage out loud, leisurely. You take the time. You give yourself permission to say, I'm not doing anything else right now. I'm not worrying about anything else right now. I'm here with Jesus. I want to encounter Jesus. So we take a time in reading the passage aloud. And then look up and imagine the scene for a few moments. Is it light out? Is it dark? Is it, is it crowded? Is it, is it empty? What does it smell like? Um, read the passage a second time. Pick up any details that you've missed and do it again. Look up from the page and place those things in there. Do it a third and a fourth time. How much time you have to do this? And simply say, Jesus, I want to be with you in this. Allow the scene to unfold. And then if, if Jesus draws you into another experience or an encounter, go with him. Welcome him. And, uh, and be blessed in that. Does that make sense? Okay. So the passage I'd like to read today is uh, John 13, verses 1. And 3 to 17, I skipped out one verse because I found it distracting. And it's the, this, the verse where Judas does his thing and takes off. So we can, we can just focus in on uh, what Jesus is calling us to do. So let's just take a, if you want to lay down, lay down. If you want to just be comfortable, however way you can do that, feel free. So Lord, as we, as we gather together and we, um, we want to encounter you, the living word, we ask you to give us grace to be attentive to you and to your moving. We pray that you would silence any distracting thoughts or, or things weighing on us so that we can sit at your word and be taught by you. So please speak in ways that we can hear you and move in ways that we can respond to, in Jesus' name. So I'll read through the passage once, and then pause for a moment, and read through it a second time, and then we'll, we'll take a prolonged period to just be still. It was just before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just take a moment and imagine the scene.